0: Welcome to this week's episode. I'm really sorry that we had to take a break last week. Basically, my work schedule was crazy and it meant that actually we pressed pause on the podcast, which actually gave me a little bit of a breather. But I am back this week with an amazing guest and I'm so excited to have her on. Now, you guys know that in my own fitness journey, I've shared a lot about Really like learning to respect my body more, to work with it rather than against it, which I think is really important, and to train for health rather than training just to make myself smaller, which was, you know, my goal probably about six years ago. And I've really had a kind of 360 since then. And I'm now really interested in understanding more about how women's bodies work, how they respond to training. You know, the majority of my clients are women. Particularly, I've got a couple of older clients who have gone through the menopause and stuff, and understanding that has been a huge part of my learning journey over the last couple of years as a coach, but really learning how we can harness our power as women and to be a little bit more intuitive with our approach as well. My guest today is the incredible leading sports dietitian Rini McGregor. She's someone who specializes in helping athletes to perform at their best, but she does loads of other stuff, which I'm going to get her to tell you about. But really helping athletes to train at their healthiest, which I think is really important, but also at their best and how we can achieve both of those things. So I'm very excited to have her here. We're going to have a really in-depth conversation about all sorts of things. So really welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, Alice, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. (laughs) How are you doing?
1: I'm good. As I was saying to you before we jumped on, I've got this new puppy that is
0: keeping me very busy on top of my very busy schedule. So um, juggling. A few different yeah. things at the moment, but it's all good. I have a client who got a dog and she said it, it was it was almost more work than having babies because at least with babies, you can put them somewhere and they stay still. But with her puppy, it was like, it's relentless.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally.
0: I think it's always hilarious. I mean,
1: thank goodness we've had like 13 months now of the fact that people have got used to life going on behind mm. you and you're on video, you know, on, and with clients, but... The other day I was presenting, it was really embarrassing, I was presenting to the RAF and suddenly the puppy and my other dog, Bailey, decided that that was the time that they were going to get to know each other really well and it was just bonkers and I was like, I'm really sorry guys, just bear with me and I'll sort this out. So yeah, it is um, definitely, definitely challenging, but but fun too. Like I was just sat earlier watching Bosco's the puppy's name, just watching him in our little courtyard, you know, kind of playing with his ball. And there's something very therapeutic about animals and oh, definitely yeah. kind of,
0: brought my stress level right down. I was like, mm. so do you know what?
1: This is a good thing. It's a yeah. good thing,
0: not a bad thing. I'm desperate for one. I grew up with dogs and our living situation in London just doesn't allow for it right now. And it wouldn't be fair to get a dog. But as soon as I can, I'm going to get one. But anyway, let's move into today's chat. I thought it'd be great. You know, I mentioned in my introduction that you have such a varied career and you wear so many different hats in, in what you do. And I thought it'd be really great if you could maybe just tell the listeners um, a bit about, you know, how you started. Obviously, I mentioned that you're a dietitian but maybe a little bit more about what you do within that role and how it's sort of expanded and grown over the last few years. Yeah, sure. I mean, so you're right. I mean, I started life as a clinical dietitian
1: and, you know, I I always say that's the best grounding anybody can ever have in nutrition because Mm -hmm. you're just exposed to so much. And, you know, I spent the first seven years of my career basically in NHS hospitals all around the country, learning about how The body responds to different clinical conditions, and then how to help those people through nutritional practices. So, you just learn so much, you know, like being part of different multidisciplinary teams and understanding how the body works, and you're understanding it from a really kind of cellular biochemical level. Mm. So, I think it was the best grounding I could have. And then I moved into. Sports nutrition, I did a postgrad in applied sports nutrition and very, very quickly, very, very luckily, was in quite high profile roles in terms of working with athletes going to the Olympics and Paralympics. And that was another kind of good eight years of my life. But I suppose fundamentally, when my friends describe me, they'll always describe me as somebody who has way too much empathy and way too much compassion mm-hmm. and i think sometimes in the um, the high performance world it was quite brutal and it was really tough watching athletes almost putting you know putting their life at risk their health at risk in order to perform and it just didn't sit that well with me and so post rio i made the decision to change direction, I guess, in that still really helping athletes to perform at their best. But as you said in your intro, making sure that their health comes first. And so I suppose in the last four or five years, my practice has been very much around bringing all that knowledge that I have clinically, sports nutrition, biochemically, and from like kind of very high performance level and ensuring that people get the best practice But also they get the best out of their bodies by understanding what's going on for them. And Mm. I suppose more recently, I've become more and more known as, I suppose, a voice on Instagram in terms of just trying to get people to educate themselves and like all these messages that keep coming out about moving more and eating less and and being a certain body type and all the things that we've probably all been sucked into at some point in our lives Mm. that, you know none of that is necessary to be healthy. And and what mm. does health actually mean? So I suppose, yeah, I mean, I've, I've kind of covered so many different areas. And you're right, I'm juggling a lot of different projects at the moment. And also, very much so my biggest project at the moment is actually working at much more strategic level. So I'm doing a lot of work on government boards, trying to actually change the practice of how we serve eating disorders in this country, because there's been obviously so much talk over the last few months. And that's very much kind of my passion at the moment and very much where I'm spending a lot of my time, which is why I've probably been a bit more quiet, because I've been just sort
0: of head down trying to really change the culture out there. Which is necessary. Sometimes we can't be everything to everyone all the time. It's something that I have to constantly remind myself of, you know, I'm really busy at the moment. And sometimes you have to take away from other areas to give in others. And it's and it's just about finding that balance. One of the things you mentioned there Rini, is something that was actually my first question that I really wanted to touch on. And it was really interesting how you said the concept of health and what is health. And I really wanted to kick off our conversation today with really talking about what we mean by health, and particularly as well, the word wellness, what do we mean by these words? Are they the same thing? Do they actually do more harm than good in some situations? And I think from a dietitian's perspective, it would really be good to hear what you mean by health. It's such a complex term that we try and break down into such simplified terms. And I think it'd be really good to hear from you what you really define as health and, and what you look for from that terminology.
1: Yeah, of course. So, I mean, from my point of view, there's there's two aspects. Health to me is more of an attitude, that it is a kind of destination as mm-hmm. such. And I guess when I start working with people, I like to look at them holistically. So, I want to take into consideration every aspect of them, not just what they eat and what they train, but what's their lifestyle, what are their relationships, what's their connections? Because something we have to understand is that humans are are very sociable animals. And I think the pandemic has kind of demonstrated just how sociable we are and how much that need for connection is. But not just because we like being in each other's company, but because it evokes a feeling of belonging and contribution, which is really important for our well-being. And I don't think we speak about this enough. And so the focus on health, in recent years has been very much about an image or a way of eating or a way of training. And there's definitely been a lot more talk around, you know, movement, but not just movement for participation and movement for enjoyment and movement to make your body feel good, but movement to an extreme level. Mm. And I think this is why health has become blurred, because people don't really understand it. And I know when I talk to clients in clinic, and they'll often say, but if I eat differently, then I won't be healthy. And I, you know, my kind of question back to them is then, well, what does it mean to be healthy? And, mm-hmm. and they don't actually know how to answer that question. They'll be like, well, you know, it means eating all the right things and doing all the right exercise. And I'm like, well, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. Because fundamentally, what does that look like? It's different for every single person out there, right? And and I guess that's why I get so frustrated because I feel like particularly because of social media, and we can't move away from, from the, the topic of social media because it is so big and we've both got platforms and we're both trying to educate. But I think with social media, one of the concerns I have is that, It creates this false sense of security that as long as you're doing everything that your idols or your aspirations are doing, then somehow you're healthy. But if Mm. those behaviors remove you from the things that actually make you smile (laughs) rather than what somebody else does, then how can that make you healthy? So, I guess to answer your question, health to me is firstly a series of questions in terms of attitudes towards certain topics. But then, of course, yes, we do have to look at health parameters. So, we will look at aspects of your biochemistry and your physiology like you know are your bloods all regulated are your hormones regulated you know have you got any deficiencies are you resting enough are you sleeping enough is your cholesterol high is your cholesterol not high all these different things need to be answered but it's all in context with that individual because again sometimes an odd result here if you don't take that into consideration with the clinical picture you could Get the wrong diagnosis, which I see so often. You know, I know I've spoken mm. to you about it before in terms of things like when people lose their periods and how there's so many people who are told they've got polycystic ovary syndrome. Yeah. yeah. But actually, when you sit and listen to that person and you're kind of looking at the blood test and you're looking at the person and they're telling you their history and you're like, this is not polycystic ovary syndrome. This is hypothalamic amenorrhea. And, and it's mm. really obvious. But just because you're not a low weight or just because you don't look that classic underweight, eating disorder person, that doesn't mean that suddenly you've got polycystic ovaries. So I suppose one of the things I'm fighting for in in the medical world is a much more joint up approach. And for people to really do that very individual, look at this person, look at what's going on for this person in their context, and not just find a description that matches them, if that makes sense.
0: Completely. And I think it's probably an issue that is so widespread in healthcare in that particularly after the year we've had, there is a certain amount of time that you get with a doctor or a GP or a specialist, whoever you're seeing. And that's a, such a small snapshot of a person. And within that tiny amount of time, you've got to gather as much as you can to try and create a picture of what you think might be the issue. And I imagine you can very much fall upon a like, oh, well, this fits this, so this fits that. And then, okay, it must be this, without maybe properly listening to to the person or, or their experiences. and And also, again, like you said, taking into account the context of which that person has then come to you. We have... Have a lot of issues there in terms of I think really having a more like you said holistic approach to health and and, and listening to lots of different voices and again like you said having a more joined up approach. Totally I, I think you're right you know like I have
1: worked in the NHS and time is a problem mm. you know but I guess my frustration is Alice is that time was a problem when I worked in the NHS back in 2009 we're now in 2021. Why hasn't anything changed? And yeah. I think that's where my frustrations come from. This is not about beating up the NHS, it's just no, I think- the fact that actually you know we're moving on so much technically in terms of what we can do in terms of technology and and everything else and science mm. is moving on so why aren't we changing our practice alongside
0: it i guess that's what frustrates me as a practitioner yeah totally with you on that i'm i'm sure that a lot of, a lot of people are listening to this as we just come out of lockdown and things are starting to open up and suddenly we're seeing a flux of people who are now you know, it, I'm just saying this in inverted commas, but are desperate to lose lockdown weight and get healthy. And I thought having you on the podcast, I might just take advantage of just clearing up a couple of things that I worry that people listening to this might be tempted to do. It, almost like a bit of a myth busting to get the podcast started. We've covered, I guess, what you mean by health. So now I wanted to cover what not to do to get healthy <laughs> as our next thing. So my first one is, is a word that if I got a pound for every time I saw it on social media, I'd be an incredible incredibly rich person, but it's about detoxing. It's one of those words that that unfortunately is still around. You still see people talking about it's almost become a colloquial term for, oh yeah, I'm I'm gonna just detox my body. Can you discuss from a dietitian's perspective why detoxing isn't necessarily as we think it might be within the body and, and really the science behind it? Yeah, sure. I mean I think the first thing is that obviously you know our bodies are incredible and have the ability to cope
1: with a lot. Right. Like they they fight mm. disease, helps us to regulate like our temperature. You, you think about what our body does. It's, it's really amazing. So I guess the question I have is, is like, what is it that you're trying to achieve from that? Yeah. Like, what is it that you're trying to achieve? Why do you need to detox? What is that going to do for you? And what does it say about you? I think these are really important questions. Whenever you start anything is mm. what is the purpose of it and what is it going to achieve for you? And, and what are you trying to attain from it? My understanding of when people say I want to go on a detox is that somehow they feel like they've probably overindulged or they've blurred the lines is is one kind of way of describing it. Because often people feel like they have to eat in very neat boxes to get that sort of aspect of being healthy, you know, only if I eat my five fruit and veg a day, I have my lean protein, Mm. somehow kind of like, you know, it's very measured, and it's very exact and very precise. And I was thinking about this, actually, this morning, when I was was walking one of the dogs, and I was thinking about this kind of aspect of how why have we become a society that really wants precision. And you know, my post- today was actually about that. Like, how do you know you're eating enough, particularly when you're training and mm-hmm. people want the exact answers. And And the thing is that no two human beings are the same. So it's actually very difficult to give you an exact answer. And also our bodies are different every day to a certain degree, particularly mm-hmm. females, because we're under the influence of hormones that are constantly changing. So you can't say with absolute that you must eat X number of calories, or you must have this many grams of protein or or whatever, like you Mm. can get a ballpark, but you can't be precise. So I guess going back to the detox aspect, it would suggest to me when somebody says I want to detox, it would suggest that somehow they feel that they need to wipe the slate clean, Mm -hmm. you know, and start afresh. And yet, our liver, which is, you know, in a really important organ within our body, that's its job. That's what Mm -hmm. it does for us every single day. Our liver and our kidneys are constantly filtering and detoxing, if you want to use that word, all the time to make sure that we are basically taking in the nutrition and the nutrients that are suitable for us. Mm -hmm. You know, so I wonder sometimes if the word detox is used in the wrong way. And actually what it's describing is how somebody feels and
0: what they're trying to do to feel better. And I think it really stems as well from this idea of good food, bad food. You and I have spoken about this a lot. And it stems from the conversation that we had previously about health earlier. When it comes to all of these terms, we look at them in very binary ways. You know, it's like, this is a good food. This is a bad food. If I eat this food, this is going to therefore be unhealthy. One of the things that I really have an issue with with my clients is no food is healthy or unhealthy. When we break it down, like everything's just as it is. Too much of anything is not great. Too little of some things is not great. But you can't look at it in such binary terms because it creates these kind of, like you said, these very precise boxes that we have to fit ourselves in, that we have to tick every day. And actually, on the one hand, you want people to think, okay, positive health behaviors of including fruits and vegetables, drinking enough water, you know, all of the things that I'm sure you have conversations about with your clients. But how do you get to a point where you care about those things, and they're important to you, but you're also not caring about them so much that it becomes restrictive or obsessive?
1: Yeah, totally. And I think that's a very good question. And a lot of people are very, very stuck on this. Like, you know, sometimes when I talk about orthorexia, which is obviously the obsession with eating correctly or purely, whatever you mm. want to call it, mm. people will say, well, what's wrong with that? Why can't I do that? And again, if we go back to the definition of health, health is about enjoying life right? If you're enjoying life, and I know that we can't enjoy life every single minute of every single day. But what I mean, Mm -hmm. fundamentally, if you've got good mental health, you are looking after yourself, you have good connections with people, then the food aspect of what we do is actually quite integral in that. You know, if you think about probably what we've all missed the most in the last 13 months has been probably sitting around a table with our loved ones, right? Having a laugh. Mm. You can't get more well-being than that. And you mm-hmm. can't get that from eating a pile of vegetables, right? <laughs> and, and so I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is that when our behaviors impact our ability to socialize, when they create so much anxiety that you can't live your life the way you want to, like even to the fact that you can't maybe go on holiday because you're so concerned about, what you're going to eat or when you're going to eat and how Mm. is it going to be cooked or you know when when it starts to interfere with day-to-day living then that's a problem and that's not okay so yet you're right there's a fine line because we want people to get nutrient-dense foods into their diet but Equally, nowhere is it ever written that you should never have a dessert or you should never drink alcohol or you should never overeat. Like nowhere is it written. There's no rule book that says Mm. any of these things. And yet this is what people are fearful of. And I think a lot of the fear also comes from the fact that we've forgotten how to eat, right? In the sense that if you think about babies and toddlers, they we're all born with the ability to know what we want when we want it. Our bodies tell us that like we have homeostatic control, we have internal cues, we have hormones like ghrelin and leptin that help us regulate our intake all the time. And if you look at young children, they often know when they've had enough, they'll turn their head when they're full, they'll mm-hmm. leave the table, or they'll only eat bread for like weeks on end. And then they'll only eat cheese. And, and you know, parents go mad. But actually, at the end of the day, their child is healthy and running around and growing. So you know, they're getting everything they need. So mm. you learn to relax about it. And then we get into the realms of, I guess, adolescents and teenagers where peer pressure comes in. Now we've got, TikTok and and social media and and everybody telling you what to do. And suddenly you start to look at external cues for what you should eat rather than your internal cues for what you should eat. And this is where it becomes problematic because suddenly you're working against your body. You might want a piece of chocolate, but you're like, no, I better not because that's bad. And that's what is said on TikTok. And that's what that person said. And so I'm not going to do it. And of course, one, you then make yourself miserable because you're not having something you want and you're basically in deprivation mode. But two, all that happens is you just want it more. So fundamentally, we know like we have so much literature and so many studies. We know that diets don't work Mm. ever. And even if they work temporarily, if you create too much of a deficit, all that happens is either you go into very dysfunctional physical behaviors and problems or your body ends up overcompensating. And so actually, when you try and eat, go back to eating normally, whatever that is, you end up restoring that weight again. Mm. So nutrition is a complex science, but it's also not complex. But it's the fact is that we've just moved away from listening to our internal cues. So when people say to me, well, are you healthy? I'd say, yeah, I am healthy. I know I'm healthy because one, I can exercise and I recover well between my exercise and I always have energy to train and I rest but also, there's nothing off limits. If my friend rang me up tonight and said, really do you want to get a takeaway and sit in the park? I'd go, yeah, let's do it. Not because I'm desperate for a takeaway, but actually because I want to see my friend, for example. That's more important to me. But mm. equally, some days I will eat what would maybe you want to call textbook, and other days I won't. But I don't sit there and focus on it. But I do know that my body works because I have regular periods. I can... Yeah concentrate. I can do everything I need to do. So in terms of health, if you want to look at those parameters, I have them all. But if you were to look at what I eat every day, would it be textbook? No, Yeah. but it works for me. I always say to people, you have to listen to what your body wants. And that's very difficult when you have had a dysfunctional relationship with food, because you have to not be fearful and you have to learn to trust again. And this is where it becomes tricky because people are not always willing to trust because they fear the potential judgment that others might have if
0: they don't do it right. The other thing that I think it's really important to just say as well is a lot of this fear comes from our fear of being in bigger bodies. You know, I'm more than 10 kilos heavier than I was a couple of years ago. And yes, it's been a journey to work, to be comfortable and and to be happy with that. But I think that you're absolutely right. There's a fear element of what will other people think? You know, I'm fearful of gaining weight and what society will think of me for doing that. And I think there is an, an element of fat phobia that intersects with that. And One of the things that you touched on, which I find really important to cover with people is this idea of what a diet should look like. You know, a diet to me is just the way that someone eats. I don't talk about diets in the sense of, you know, I'm on a diet. I I have a diet and that's what I eat. It's one of the reasons why I've really pulled back from sharing what I eat on Instagram because I found that actually do people need to know, is it healthy to be sharing what I'm eating? Is that beneficial information for other people? Probably not. No, I don't think it is. You know, and, and we exist in social media within echo chambers and we have confirmation bias and all these things can impact the behaviors that we then choose to play out in our own lives. And I just think I've really had to think about the impact and the audience that I have and how I choose to then present myself online and the the ramifications or the responsibility that I hold, I guess, in having that platform.
1: And I think that is so important. In fact, just talking about it with our, my team this morning, because we were talking about the fact that anybody that has any sort of following has a responsibility. And I think because as a team, we see the negative side to people's relationship with food, you know, day in day out, we see how much people are suffering with their relationship with food and body image and exercise. And it's heartbreaking, like it's Mm -hmm. truly heartbreaking to hear some of the stories that we get. And you're right. Like I remember I did an event back in 2018 and nobody followed me then. Nobody knew who I was. But even with my very small following of 200 people, I have a responsibility because you do. You're right. Mm. And actually knowing your audience. And I get cross with anybody who says they don't know who their following is because you do. Mm. Of course you do. And, you know, for me, exactly like you, I know that a lot of people that follow me have got issues. Hence, they follow me because they want to learn and they want to get better and they want to try and educate themselves, which is why I have my platform. But I also really don't, I mean, I don't put anything personal up. In fact, my friend rang me the other day on Sunday and he was like, I have no idea what's going on in your life because you don't put anything up on Instagram. I just know that you're busy because I can see from work. And I was like, yep, that's that's exactly it. Because it's not really relevant. And you're right. Like I never put up what I eat. I never put up what I train. Like I run, everybody knows I run, but I don't do story after story of me running Mm -hmm. because it's not relevant to my population that follow me. And, you know, when I do do anything about running or there are pictures of me running, it's it's about trying to put it into context of, well, this is how I feel, or this is what's important or rest or recovery or, or whatever. So it's, there's always a message behind it. And I think you're right. It's, it's really important, to understand your audience.
0: That was so perfectly put. And really, it is acknowledging that everyone doesn't need to know everything. It's a conversation I've had with my therapist many times. I've had to put up some pretty strict boundaries within my own sharing of, of what I share on social media. For personal reasons, you know, my relationship stays completely private. There are many things of my life that I like to keep offline. Because for my own mental health, it's just not healthy to be constantly telling other people what you're doing and is it healthy for other people either? I, I just don't think it is. And, and you know, I think a big part of my engagement with social media now is really having to be mindful about what I consume just as much as what I post. And, you know, I know you and I have had long chats about social media, but you have to protect your space and you have to protect your well-being. And going back to what we were saying about, you know, this idea of, Feeling like you need to tick the boxes when it comes to the way you eat or exercise in a certain way because other people are doing it. Like if that's the messaging that you're getting, take a step back, have a breather, and just see who you're consuming online. Because I guarantee you, some of that will be subliminally coming through from the people that you follow on social media. I've had it so many times, really. You know, you. I I like to think that I'm a strong woman now who has a, a, a good, stable mental well-being. And a good relationship with exercise. But there have been times where I would go online and I'd see someone training and it might be, you know, a really hard session. And I think, oh, do I train hard enough? Do I train mm-hmm. that hard? Because they look amazing. And I don't know whether I do push myself enough. Or I worry that if I put up something that is, you know, really hard exercise, I'm like, oh, maybe I should just caveat this with, you know, or I just did this once and I'm not actually doing it every time. You know, it's a constant flux of having to pull back from stuff that triggers you, be mindful of stuff that might trigger other people. And and I find that a thing that, you know, is constantly evolving and changing depending on where I'm at mentally. But I think what you said was really important is that, is it relevant? Is it going to help people? And if it's not, maybe think about not sharing it. Yeah. And, and you know what, the other thing
1: is, you, you made a very good point. We're also human. So like, we will get affected as well. Like, I definitely had a bit of a day yesterday and I journal every morning and evening because it's actually very good it's really good way for me to manage my emotions because I work with such incredibly sick people at times that it can be very very hard because you're absorbing so much of everybody else's grief and I'm an empath as I said at the beginning so I find other people's pain really difficult and I basically experience everything people tell me because Mm. that's just how I'm, now it's my strength, but it's also my weakness. And and this is why I do it because it helps me to then become really rational and objective. But Mm. what I noticed yesterday was that I was kind of like, everybody's having fun. Everybody's done lots of things. I've just been at home (laughs) and like all this kind of stuff. And I was like, okay, right. Let's just get a grip. You have just been on social media way too much because you've done what you tell people not to do, which is you've gone in there almost validating the fact that you're at home and everybody else is out by the sea or doing whatever. Mm-hmm. And you've made a thing about it, but you actually had a really nice day. Cause I did, I, you know, I needed a day for myself. I've been presenting so much recently and I get exhausted and I just, I needed a day at home where mm-hmm. I, you know, went for a really long walk on my own and I was in the countryside and just needed to think about what, like we're doing with this whole government strategy stuff and what we're doing with our team and, and train mm. brave I just needed some space and it was only when I got back that I became like affected but you know what I'm trying to say is is that we're not immune to it I think people forget that we also have feelings and emotions and stuff happens to us too and <laughs> I know people think I've got my shit together and I've got life sucks yeah. but <laughs> I'm still working it all out I promise yeah. I really am
0: We'll be back after this. Welcome back to Give Me Strength. Believe me, I wish I could say that speech to people that follow me sometimes. I'm a human <laughs> and I get things wrong sometimes. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> if you don't get things wrong, how do you grow?
1: That's what I always exactly. say. Like, I don't mind. I don't mind failing. I don't mind making a mistake because I think, okay, well, I can learn from that. And that's where I think, again, going back to like food rules and training and and everything else is don't be scared to step outside that box. Mm. Mm -hmm. Because how do you know that it's going to be worse? Like, you know, people always say to me, but I'll put weight on and then people won't accept me and and I'll be judged. And I'm like, well, how do you know? Mm. You've just made like four assumptions there. How do you know? Yeah, that's going to happen. And obviously, I'm, I'm a woman in my 40s. So I've, I've kind of lived a little bit. And one thing I can say to people is that actually, everybody is so caught up in their own lives, they often don't notice what's going on in somebody else's life.
0: Yeah, the last thing I'd say on that, before we move on is I think it was Victoria Neve, who posted a quote recently that really struck a chord with me. And she was like, when you meet people, their body is literally the least it- Interesting thing about them. Mm. You care about everything else. You care about, you know, what they're saying, how nice they are, whether they're a kind person. You don't care about their body, and yet we think it holds such gravitas when it comes to who we are as a person. And I just have to remind myself of that sometimes. My therapist says it to me sometimes. She's like, "You are a really nice person." Because I just have this thing that nobody likes me, and I'm a bad person. <laughs> and you know, I have to remind myself when I meet new people or when I meet friends or whatever that it's my personality. That they're there for it's not how I look or who I am or whatever. It's just important to remind ourselves of that when we do think about our bodies changing and evolving. Totally, and I'm the same. I always think I'm really boring, (laughs) so
1: I'm standing there going, "God, these people." We're sharing the inner critic now, aren't
0: we? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly.
1: (laughs) One thing I'd add add to that quote is, and this is again something that I tell myself all the time, Mm. is that life is about how you respond to it what i mean by that is that we know that we will be under scrutiny because we're public facing and that does mm. happen and there's nothing you can do about it but it's it's how you respond to that situation that will then decide how you cope with it right yeah. and and one thing i guess i've learned definitely in recent years is i've had to really slow everything down. So when my brain is going like 90 miles an hour, and I'm like looking at all the comments people are writing, or people are saying stuff about me, or I'm thinking, think of people saying things about me, I just have to go stop, Mm. press pause. And let's just work through this. Like, let's just think about how are you going to respond to this. And that's, that's, that's a bit of advice I would give anybody who's listening to this is just press pause sometimes and ask yourself, how are you going to respond to this? Because yeah. it
0: really does help. Yeah. Brilliant advice. Now, I wanted to talk about how really focusing on training now, because I know that as a sports dietitian, that's a huge part of, of what you do. And I'm sure that a lot of people listening to this will be regular exercises and really wanting to get the most out of their training. Now, obviously, we're talking about this in the parameters of not being too obsessive about what they're eating. But it would also be great to get some advice about nutritional considerations one might need to think about if they are someone who exercises regularly. It'd be great to hear your advice on that. Sure. I think the first thing I want to say is carbohydrate
1: availability mm-hmm. because we've become again this nation that seems to be really fearful of carbohydrate. And something I'll say to you guys is that when I'm working with athletes in clinic, And when I talk about athletes, I mean individuals like yourselves that are just really interested in their sport and exercising regularly and different levels. So, yes, we do work with high performance athletes as well, but we work with with anybody that's got an interest in being active. Mm. But when these women particularly come in and they've lost their period, for example, and they're normally a normal weight, and I'm putting this into context because I want you to understand, they're often confused by why they have lost their period because in their mind, they're like, well, I'm still a normal weight, so I must be eating enough. So why have I lost my period? And the key things generally tend to be is that they have either restricted carbohydrate Mm -hmm. or the timing of carbohydrate around their training is is not correct, or they're doing a lot of fasted training. So fundamentally, what I'm trying to say is that for women in particular – Carbohydrate availability is really, really important because we know that there's a hormone our thyroid produces called T3, which is very, very sensitive to carbohydrate. And when that is low, then fundamentally, that can start to turn on the stress hormone in our body and suggest that, oh, there's not enough energy going on in this system. So this is what I mean by we go into these compensatory behaviors and our metabolic rate is downregulated. And so actually what you find is not only do you lose your period, but you'll probably find you don't actually benefit from your training either because you don't get any adaptive responses. Yeah. So, my first bit of advice is please don't be fearful of carbohydrates. Now, when I talk about carbohydrate availability, what I don't mean is eating like five plates of pasta before you go and do a gym session. That's not what I'm talking about. But we're talking about ensuring that you have taken on some carbohydrate before you train and that particularly if that's been quite a hard training session or quite a long training session that you recover within 30 to 40 minutes. It's really, really important. Now that could be your next meal or that might be a snack that you choose depending on your life and what's going on and where you are and what's going to happen next for you. But the biggest mistake I see, particularly in women, is limiting their carbohydrate because somebody somewhere has told them that carbohydrate makes you put on weight. And it is so far from the truth. It's unbelievable because carbohydrate is critical for all your hormonal processes in your body. And without those hormonal processes, you're not going to produce growth hormone, which means you're not going to get the adaptation you're looking for or the performance progression that you're looking for.
0: Yeah, and I think actually, really, this, that really brings me on to, I guess, one of the the biggest flaws that I think with the calories in, calories out concept, which I know you've got issues with, is that when you break it down to such simplistic terms, there's no respect for macronutrients or, like you said, carbohydrate availability. It's like this is the sum, this is what you have to have in, this is what you're putting out, and that, and it's as simple as that. And it grinds my gears when I hear that saying mm. because it's like. This sort of stuff just doesn't even feature in that equation. And so when you have people that are like, oh, but I'm eating enough calories. And it's like, it's not as simple as that. And I'm frustrated often by the oversimplification of of that saying and people just believing that that's all it takes. You know, you said earlier, nutrition is incredibly complex. And it's also quite simple, but I don't think it's that simple.
1: Yeah. So if we take an example of, and, and in the endurance world, there's this whole concept of training low. Which is where you train in carb depleted states in terms of trying to get some adaptation. And this is more for endurance based stuff. Mm. Now, somehow that training low, which I'll explain in a minute what that looks like, but that training low has now been interpreted on social media by fasted training. Mm -hmm. Right. So suddenly we've already changed the message. That Mm. has then gone on another level and somebody's dumbed it down even further and gone, do you know what? Actually, this is is talking about low carbohydrate. So just don't have carbs around your training. And this is where it becomes problematic. But when you go away and read the science and you go and look at what's going on at a molecular cellular level, which is what you have to do if you really want to think about performance. So when we're working with the Olympic and Paralympic athletes, we are looking at that level to Mm. see how they can improve. So if we want to Transfer that onto all of us, because at the end of the day, if you take your sport seriously, you want to do well and you want to feel good about doing it and you want to potentially see improvements. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nobody's saying there's anything wrong with that at all. But training low just means manipulating your carbohydrate intake. But fundamentally, your intake still stays the same. Right. So we know that from the general sports science guidelines, that if you're doing an hour to 90 minutes of training a day, then you need in the region of five grams of carbohydrate per kilogram of body weight. Okay. So that's really important to understand. Now, if that hour to 90 minutes is high intensity, then you want to really try and get that carbohydrate around that session as much as possible so you want to get a good amount before you might even want to get some during depending on how hard you're working and you definitely want to get some afterwards and you want to kind of continue but you might find the majority of that is around your training specifically Mm. now if you were doing a more lower intensity activity whatever that might look like then you might not need to have as much carbohydrate up front but nobody is saying that you shouldn't have five grams per kilogram of body weight of carbohydrate and this is what happens suddenly people go oh well I don't need carbs like I get it people message me on Instagram going well I'm just about to do this so I don't really need carbs for this do I? And I'm like yeah you still do you still need to hit your requirements through the day it's just that this training low is talking about manipulating your diet In certain training scenarios, what I'm trying to get at here is this is actually really quite, this is the complex bit. And this is why we have sports dietitians, sports scientists that work at that top level Mm -hmm. to help people to manipulate their diet so they do meet all their requirements. And I think the problem is that then when then say maybe some athlete goes, oh, you know, I've done this session fasted or I've done this on avocados or whatever it might be because again they're not being responsible then then joe blogs looks at that and goes oh maybe i should do that without understanding what is really going on and, and actually that the athlete starts being looked after so yeah. i really hate calories in calories out and when people say to me "Oh, well, how many calories should i eat in a day i'll say i have no idea because unless you want to sit in a lab for me for seven days where i can monitor your output and input i have no idea because we're all different you know and that goes back to what we were talking about earlier why are we all trying to be clones of each other? I don't get it. I just don't get it. Like, I love variation and diversity. That's what makes us rich. If we were all the same, we wouldn't learn from each other. So I I find that frustrating that we're all trying to be clones of each other. And it's difficult to give people calorie requirements because it's gonna be very, very different depending on genetics, on body composition, on lifestyle, on physical activity levels. And we can't monitor all that all the time. So I never really work on calories. I always work around what that individual is doing and then the amount of carbohydrate, protein, fats, etc., vitamins that they might need based on what they're doing. And it's very, very much an individual approach. Mm. So yes, there's lots of books out there. And yes, I've got books out there too. But I'm very, very clear in my books that these are ballpark figures. Mm. You know, you have to also think about you, your appetite. Also, what is your outcome? When I train, I don't train to lose weight. I train because I really like running. And i I usually have some sort of goal that I want to achieve in my running, but that means actually I need to be really consistent with my training, which means I have to be really consistent with my nutrition and I have to be on it to make sure I've got the energy to deliver those sessions, Mm. you know, week after week. So for me, I don't have a body composition goal. I don't have a, a weight that I want to hit. I just want to make sure that I can do the training that makes me feel good. That's it. So and i don't know many people that train for that reason because when you really start talking to people about like why do they need to know what how many calories they're eating it's usually, it usually goes back to that same thing we said right at the beginning is they want to get it right because getting it right somehow means that then they are right so it's almost like that perfection that we all seem to be going in search of is internalized yeah and you you take it in and you're trying to achieve it from every angle of yourself and yet
0: what is perfect mm. who's to say what is perfect i think one of the questions as well i had around that was knowing when you're eating enough i think that mm. a lot of people i know and and follow and have trained or have had as clients or have interacted with they're doing a lot in a day a lot of movement a lot of exercise you know if they're not wanting to change their body composition Through exercise, which I'm sure some of them aren't, how do they know that they're eating enough? And I guess it taps back into that conversation we had around this level of intuitiveness that we seem to have lost. How can we know that we're eating enough for the amount that we're doing without there being any form of tracking mechanism or overly thought out approach to it? So, firstly, if I explain that the human body is biologically
1: biased towards energy balance, okay? So the body actually is always trying to achieve energy balance and actually prefers to be in a slightly positive energy balance than a negative energy balance. So that's a really important thing to understand is that physiologically, we are drawn to that. This is why often exercise is not particularly useful as a weight loss tool, because when we do more, we get hungry and we eat more, generally speaking. And we know that there's loads of studies that have shown us that. So generally speaking, if somebody does a lot more exercise, they tend to consume more. But equally, if they eat a bit more and they haven't done enough exercise, then often we become a bit more fidgety. And that's that's how the body tends to work, because it likes to operate within a very tight weight that it's comfortable at. And that weight is that kind of like that set point weight in the sense that everybody has a place where their body operates best. And when I say operates best, I mean, that's when you can think clearly. That's when you can make the best decisions. That's when your periods as females are regular. Mm. That's when as men, you're having your general morning erectile function. It's when you can get up every morning, you've got enough energy. It's when you can do your training sessions and you're recovering between your training sessions. You're not feeling that you know, like we all get doms occasionally, but if you're getting doms every single time, mm. that's saying something like something's wrong there. So it's it's looking at yourself as well, holistically, and going, okay, have I got enough energy to get through my day and actually interact with people that I want to interact with? Have I got enough energy to do the training I want to do? What's my motivation to train? Is it is it because I feel like I have to? Is it because I want to, like, it's, it's asking yourself these general questions. Mm. It's, looking at your body and kind of going, yep, okay. Yep. Monthly cycle. Great. That's a generally good indicator. Am I healthy? Like, am I getting lots of coughs and colds? Am I sleeping properly? So, you know, one reason, I'm not saying it's the only reason, but one reason often people don't sleep well is because they're hungry. Mm. And when our body is hungry, it goes in search of food, right? So you're staying awake looking for food. So, there's all these little telltale signs that tell us that our body is healthy. And also, are you responding to your training? That's a big one. Mm. Are you seeing the strength gains that you were hoping for or the progression in your speed? Is, is it just feeling a bit easier if it's, you know, you just started out running or whatever? You, these are the things that will give you a really good indicator that you're eating sufficiently for yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. That's a really good answer. And I think definitely something to be mindful of is, again, something that we've touched on a lot over the last hour is, is health being multifaceted and not just drawing upon the food we eat and the exercise we do as our, as our kind of concepts of health, but really looking at all of the other things that are real signs of our, our physical well-being and our mental well-being yeah. too so you know the sleep we get the the mood we're in our cognitive function our ability to have energy our ability to interact and communicate with people i mean i know that there are times of my life where i've definitely been in an energy deficit and had a dysfunctional relationship with food where i just wouldn't want to socialize because i didn't have the energy for it i was just like mm-hmm. no nah, just gonna stay at home and there was just no kind of get up and go and i think that even that's a sign you know of losing that vitality within your life i think that's that's a really important thing to be mindful of. One of the things that I I did also want to talk about is body image. I'm sure it's something that you cover a lot with your clients. And it's definitely something that a lot of people that message me struggle with, myself included. There are days when I feel great. And there are days where I really don't. And I think Unfortunately, it's something that we all have to navigate, and that's an ever-growing thing as we get older and our bodies change. You know, it's it's a constantly moving thing that we have to work on. And I wondered if you could talk about how you address body image with your clients. Is there any advice that you give to them that you find particularly helpful? And also with yourself as well. You know, we are, we are both women in bodies, <laughs> and I'm sure we, <laughs> have, we have both had good and bad days. So it would be really good to hear some advice around that.
1: Sure. So firstly, I find this topic really quite interesting because I've spoken to a few people recently and they always say to me, Rini, you never talk about your body on social media. And I was like, no, because for me, my body really is not relevant. Mm -hmm. Again, goes back to that. It's not relevant in that I'm very comfortable in my body. Yes, definitely have days where it doesn't feel that comfortable, Mm -hmm. but I'm very comfortable in my body now again that hasn't always been the case but I can hand on heart say that it is the case now and I think this is what we term embodiment you know when you're basically your mind and your body is one and I don't really see myself as separate and I guess if we go into looking at the definition of what body image is and I think this is really important is that the terminology body image really is just the reflection it's just the description of you Mm. So if I was to describe my body image to you is that I'm not very tall, small person, dark hair, dark skin, dark eyes, right? That's pretty much my body image, fairly athletic, if you want to add that in. Mm. But that's even a bit more descriptive, right? Now, often when people talk about body image, they generally talk about their feelings. You know, they'll say, oh, you know, I'm bigger than everybody else, or my legs are not right, or whatever it might be, they'll talk about. And that's different. So our feelings are very different to the facts. And I think this is one thing that we teach the clients in our in our team is understanding that absolute difference between feelings and fact. Mm. So factually, this is what you are. And that's a fact, (laughs) because you can't change that. Mm. But how you feel about your body Is going to constantly change depending on what is going on in your life and what you're experiencing in that moment. And I think where I would love to do more work and definitely get people to appreciate this, particularly at a younger level, is that feelings are a barometer. They're trying to tell us something, but they're not factual. So when we feel bigger, that doesn't mean we are bigger. Mm. That's just a feeling. And one way you navigate that is by starting to change the language that you use with yourself. So you start to say things like, I am noticing I feel bigger.
0: Mm.
1: So what that does is it separates you from when you say I feel bigger, you become it. And when you become it, you respond to it. Whereas when you say I'm noticing I feel bigger, you separate yourself from it. So suddenly it's like, oh, something's happening for me. What is this all about? Mm. And, you know, one thing to remember is that when we feel overwhelmed, when we feel like life's chaotic and messy and crazy, or maybe we've spent too much time on Instagram or on social media and, and suddenly we're feeling that sense of unworthiness, you know, God, look, look at her, she looks great, da, 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 all these things that are going on in our head. These will then impact how we view ourselves, and we will feel Something. And it's starting to separate that and understanding that the feeling is just the barometer. It's trying to tell you something. It's like a sign. The way I describe feelings is like a map. You know, like a map is great in that it gives you a mental representation of what the environment's going to look like, but it's not living and breathing.
0: Hmm.
1: And it's the same thing with our thoughts. It gives us a mental representation that, that there's stuff going on for us, but it probably isn't factual. Mm. So that's one thing to consider when you're looking at body image. The other thing to remember is, why is it important? When I say that, obviously, we're not talking about, right at the beginning of this conversation, we talked about health parameters, and there are going to be certain body sizes that are going to affect health parameters, such as the impact on your joints, the impact on your heart, the impact on your getting a higher incidence of diabetes, et cetera, et cetera. And and we're not talking about making that acceptable. That's not what I'm talking about. But our bodies are all going to be different because we've said time and time again, we're all different. We come from different backgrounds. We come from different cultures. So we are going to be different. I think the difficulty we have is that the images that have been portrayed, particularly in recent years, Mm that demonstrate health in inverted commas are not health because usually in order for women to look like that, they will not be fertile. Mm. So we have to understand that. And that's a really hard thing. So when we talk to people in our clinic, they'll say often, well, you know, like I'm now in the normal weight range. So obviously this is, this is as far as I want to go. And I'll be like, but that might not be the ideal for you. Yeah. Just because you've decided that that's where you want to stay, that might not be where your body wants to be. And I think this is where it can get difficult. But obviously, a lot of the work we do with them is having to understand that nobody's telling them that they need to become overweight or obese. We're not talking about that at all. But there's a big range in normal. And actually, where you sit in that is very much down to your genetics, mostly. Mm. So, trying to stay at the bottom end of a normal range because that's what society dictates. When actually, maybe if you look at your family and you look at your genetics and you, you know you look at the body sizes and builds that are in your family, actually, it's probably not realistic. You probably need to be in the middle of the range. Mm. It's understanding your body type too, as well. Yeah, and and I think this is what is often dismissed and not looked at because everybody's just trying to look like this one type of person which is ridiculous because we're all different there are you know it's like when you look at athletes when you when you talk about the top athletes in the world so I know you've had like Jess Ennis on on this Mm. podcast and you know various other people these athletes they are physiologically talented and they are outliers we can't all be like them Mm. and again that's not about trying to like sort of shut down everybody's dreams and aspirations but it's reality mm. and we have to be realistic because if you deny reality all you do is inc- increase your suffering. Mm. You know, I love running. I am never going to be an elite runner. I'm a decent runner, but I'm never going to be an elite runner because genetically and physiologically I just don't have that. Yeah. So I'm happy with where I where I am. I just work within my range and that's cool. And it's being able to absorb that and understand that. And, and I guess it's the same for our bodies. It's understanding that if you're going in search of a particular body ideal, it's often because you're trying to attain something from that, that you can't get within yourself. You're trying to attain your worth through what you physically look like. And as you said, quite rightly so, people don't meet you and go, my name's Rini and, and and this is my weight and these are my body like metrics. Yeah. Because People think you're weird. The key thing I would say is that it's really important to look at facts versus feelings because they're very different. And and also don't forget as women, hormonally, our bodies are going to be different every single week Mm. of the month. Mm. Because of different influences. And that's so important because, you know, one week you might go, oh, yeah, I'm all right with this. And the next week, because maybe estrogen is dominant or progesterone is dominant or whatever's going on in your cycle at that moment, you don't feel so good. You know, you hold yeah. a bit more fluid or you become a bit more irrational with your thinking because, again, hormones do that. We give ourselves such a hard time as women. But as long as your body, as we've described, is healthy, it's doing what it needs to do. And you're enjoying the things you can do and you can participate in life. Does it really matter if you're a few kilos above what you feel you should be? Why does that make a difference? Because it shouldn't.
0: Mm. Honestly, like everything you just said then, I was like furiously nodding because I just think it's (laughs) so important. And I think really the thing you said about our bodies maybe not being in the place we want them to be, but being in the place that they need to be is a really crucial point. And I think that's something that we need to be reminded of a lot, that we're all trying to fit this one body type ideal. It's portrayed in the media, it's portrayed on social media. And I think there are very tight parameters of perfection that if you don't fit, you somehow are, are less than. And I think the more that we diversify and we see different bodies and different types of people celebrated, both both online in the media, whatever, the more that we can start to have greater respect for all different types of bodies. And that's why I think that sort of representation is so crucial. Because I'm like you, I'm very very small and quite straight up and down, and I'm I'm curvy. You know, I have I, I have a body that I think functions well. You know, and you're absolutely right when it comes to. What I now see as a, as a healthy body for me, no, it's not the body that I had six years ago, but I know it's one that is a hell of a lot healthier. And I think that's that's something that we all need to gain respect for. And I think one of the things that I've really had to work on as well is that level of neutrality, of, of being indifferent about my body, Often when I start to pick apart things about my body, it's because I know automatically there is an underlying reason why my mind has gone to picking holes in how I feel about my body, whether that's because I'm stressed. And it's the, it's kind of my go-to coping mechanism is to be like, well, I'm stressed about this thing, so I'm going to take it out on my body. And and my way of coping is to say, oh, God, I feel a bit ugh today, and I'm, I'm going to look in the mirror and judge myself. You know, often the best days I have are when I get up and I get ready and, and I don't give a second thought to, to my body. That I can put my clothes on and get ready for the day and not think, oh, like I'm just going to look in the mirror and look at my stomach and look at my arms, look at my legs. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's almost like a complete mm. neutrality to it. And I think that's the, the the place where I want to be every day, you know? Yeah. And I think, I mean, that is where I'm I'm at, to be honest. I really don't
1: give a second thought to my body because I just don't have time most of mm. the time. But also I think it's interesting because you're right, like it's a default. And and the thing about our body is it's something physical we can work with. Mm. Whereas our emotions are not, they're not physical, That they're, they're uncomfortable and they're not always clear. And this is why I journal, because it helps me become more clear about what's going on, what's going on for me and and yeah. I think that's that's really really important I suppose I always look at the functionality of my body as well in the sense that look at what it can do you know obviously I've I've had two girls and I, I've given birth and I've been pregnant twice and I've breastfed twice and and even after all that I'm still now you know able to to run big distances over mountains and, and you sort of look at it and you go wow mm. that's incredible like mm. that is incredible and i'm much rather it can do all that than worry about what it looks like in a pair of skinny jeans for example so you know i think it's not an easy thing you know like getting to that place of neutrality that you were talking about it's not easy but it is one that if you keep working on Mm. it then becomes the new default Mm. you know it becomes your new normal which is what you want to try and achieve yeah Definitely.
0: Oh, really, this has been so great. And I think it's such a nice note to end on in terms of talking about that. We've covered so much in this chat, and I could honestly talk to you for hours. But I think some of the stuff that we've talked on has been really, really important and stuff that I've really wanted to to get into with you. And I think I'm just so grateful for your time and sharing all that you have today. If people want to find you, do you want to share your social media and also anything else that you're working on at the moment? Sure. Yeah.
1: So my social media is mainly Instagram and it's r underscore McGregor. We also have a website, which is just reanimcgregor.com. In terms of stuff, I'm working on so many different things at the moment, but there's probably nothing that's coming to, to going to be in fruition for the next few months. So okay. I guess just watch the social media and <laughs> that that you would to, yeah, <laughs> tell you what's going on. But if anybody does want a little bit more support on some of the things we've talked about today, I've gone on my own podcast. There are quite a few episodes where I've gone into a lot. Lot more detail about like hormones and training and body image so if people want a little
0: bit more dialing in then there's plenty there for people to look at perfect well thank you so much for your time and yeah really really grateful hope you have a great rest of your day my pleasure you so much for listening I really hope you enjoyed that episode I have a little request for you all if it's not too much to ask it really really helps if you rate review and subscribe to the podcast as it means that others can find it and hopefully gain from it too we have a new episode dropping every week so stay tuned and thanks for listening